What's up, what's up? I uh, recorded one version of this and wanted to revisit it to help make it a little more coherent so there weren't so many uh, awkward pauses of me uh, processing and trying to articulate these words. But I think it's worth taking time to talk about Alma and a personal perspective, my personal perspective of his personal perspective. A lot of times we read these, these scripture stories and we see the virtues and we see the, the end from the beginning. And so we, it's easier to gloss over maybe some of the, the finer details of the realities of the gospel. And it's worth looking, at, looking into those from their perspective because when we read these stories, we, we have a 30,000 foot view, you know, high, we see everything in hindsight and we know again what the end from, we know the end from the beginning. And so as we read them, we know like, oh, you know, Alma's going to preach the gospel. These people are going to convert it or these people aren't. And the good guys are going to win, right? We have that fair, it's a lot of times we have that fairy tale ending, but uh, when you're in the moment, you don't know what the end is going to be like, you know, even if you're super faithful and you have your calling and election made sure, uh, it, even if you have that hope in the gospel and you, you continue to move forward and that hope and that joy in the Lord, there's still some anxiety. There's still some trepidation of what's going to happen. And I don't think that's because of a lack of faith. I think that's just as human, na- human nature, even if we have that surety, it's not fun to go through pain. And a lot of times we don't know if we take certain actions, what pain that may or may not cause, even though we're going to move forward and take that action and hope it still isn't fun to go through that pain. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from Alma because we see his end from the beginning um, that we can apply to our life, even though we don't know the end from the beginning, but we can still move forward in hope and faith anyway. So let's recap a little bit about Alma so we can take that framework and then learn some lessons and, and some thoughts that I've had over the last well, last year or two, um, but have really like been reignited as I've read these sections of of Alma and of specifically his his message to his sons, right? So, if we want to give a quick quick recap of Alma, and the, the reason I do this is because people don't know is because like I want to frame it up in a certain way uh, and take a certain perspective, and hopefully that'll help see where we're going. So, Alma the younger, in the church, generally speaking we like to take one perspective and that's this. We, well, here's the narrative. We take one narrative is Alma was a wayward person. He had this miraculous conversion experience and then he went to preach his gospel, right? That's a very unidimensional uh, or it's very, um, we, I, I use the word character development. I should say personal development, but in, in the story that we create about Alma in our heads and in our teachings and our, our narratives, it's, it's, you have this, this, this is this one moment. He's a good person from there on and that's it, right? Like Alma's very one dimensional. He's two dimensional in the midst of that story. But after he's repentant, he's just one dimensional. He's just a super like missionary, super prophet that just goes forward and does what he's supposed to do. And he's perfect. Right. And I, I think that does a disservice one to Alma and what he actually had to go through because there was more character development as he went through and we ignore that at our at and number two we ignore that at our peril right we we think oh we go through this one turnabout we do this we do the one 180 and after that 
we're on our we're on the straight and narrow we're good and that ignores the change and conversion that continually has to happen if we want to get to become or get where we want to go or become who we need to become right it's not a one-time thing and that's why i want to dive into the story is because it if we if we actually read alma the way mormon wanted us to read it we're not going to look at just the one-time conversion like if, it, if that's all the story was about if that's all mormon and the lord wanted us to learn about he would have just stopped the story there and we would have kept we would have just kept on going right but there are other things we need to learn not just about what alma preached but about who alma became and why he became that way and we I, we need to have a discussion about that so backing up alma the younger him and the sons of Messiah, they're the son of the bishop, right? <laughs> they're the bishop's son. They're the, they're the leader's sons, and they're probably pretty young and dumb, and they're going about doing, thing, doing the exact opposite thing their parents want them to do, right? Like a lot of kids do. Um, but in this case, they're doing it in a very destructive way. They're going about preaching against the church, and their parents know what they're doing, right? They're, they're, they say, it says they're going about in secret, but... Someone's praying. Alma's the older is praying for his sons, his son and the sons of Mosiah because they know something's up. Okay, so even though they went about in secret, they you know they knew something was up. So there, there's this, there's a big angel, little voice of thunder shakes him to the ground, falls down, has this like horrible, is racked with horrible torment for the in the memory of his sins. He reaches out to the, the Savior and prays and is saved. He wakes up. Sons of Mosiah, very similar experience. Um, they're, they're changed, right? Converted in an instant. And then they go back and they try to change all their wrongs. They try to like they devote the rest of their life to missionary work. And Sons of Mosiah go out to Lamanites. Alma stays there, right? But the story goes on. And Alma um, ends up becoming, one, the leader of the church, but two, because there's a shift in how the government, the governing the manner of the system of government, right? They go from a monarchy to a oligarchy. I'm that's that's probably a poor misrepresentation. They go to the, a system of judges where instead of the king being the final authority, you have a, a system of judges where the judges are the minor authorities, and then you have a, a chief judge that ends up on the on the bigger questions. He has authority, right? And so the he ends up being the chief judge and like the head of the church. So it's really interesting. He has, you know, both civil and religious authority. And he acts in that role for a while, but then decides, you know what, I'm going to have, you know, I'm true, true to form, right? I'm, I am going to have more impact as a religious leader solely as like trying to do both of these roles. So he, he gives up the, the chief judge position and goes full-time to preach my gospel, to preach the gospel. And probably what happened, well, I'm, I'm guessing, again, I'm, I want to try to take these, this from Alma's perspective, because if you think about it, he makes that decision. And I imagine it was kind of, I imagine people probably doubted that, right? Like, hey, dude, like you have both like powers, like isn't going to be more effective if you do that? Like that's my initial reaction. Like, man, if we had a member of the church, like a true Christian president, like the country would be a way better position, right? But that's not what Alma said. Alma said, well, actually, I probably have better impact not being the leader, really really kind of counterintuitive to common sense um or my common sense or most common sense i don't know anyway but so he makes a decision and then he goes out and starts preaching he starts in zarahemla and it's a little rough but ends up 
people end up listening and, and converting and there's lots of baptisms and life's good. And then he goes to Gideon and same thing. And I think if I remember right, I'm not sure, but he goes to Manti and has a really good experience. And I imagine Alma at this point is thinking, wow, that decision to preach the gospel full time was a good one. And we don't know if this was decision was motivated by a spiritual yearning or spiritual prompting or was just his own like decision. But I imagine right now he's feeling pretty like pretty good about himself. Like, well, I, I made that decision and we're three for three. This is awesome. But then Ammonihah happens and he goes to Ammonihah and he preaches the gospel and he's kicked out. So I imagine when he's kicked out, he's probably thinking, that stinks, but they have their agency and on to the next one, right? I had three good experiences. They can all be great. Just move on, next city. But the Lord has different plans. And an angel, the same angel that he saw before, appears to him and says, hike back there, Alma. And he hikes back and meets Amulek and preaches the gospel again. And if I'm Alma, I'm probably a little little scared and uh, for good reason and, and ends up that those fears be, end up being justified and they not only persecute Alma and Amulek, but they gather up the believers and burn many at the stake and then put Alma and Amulek in a, in a prison and naked and beat them up for a few days and then they have to watch as their command, their, their petition to God ends up killing a large majority of people. And from our perspective, we read, I, when I first read it, when I, when I second, third, fifth, eighth, ninth, tenth read it, I thought, good job, Alma. You're the good guy. Alma, like, you guys are the good guys. You, you were persecuted. You got through it. And you ended up coming out on top. But if I'm Alma, and as I've aged, I don't think that anymore. I think Alma's a pretty loving person. And it's got to be pretty hard to see suffering. It's got to be really hard to see suffering that you left a city and then you came back. And some people believed you because you were trying to follow God's commandments. And because those people believed you, they were thrown into a fire. And because these other people didn't believe you, even though you wanted them to believe you because you love them and you have empathy for them and you see where their mistakes are, but they still make those poor mistakes. And even though they hurt you and persecute you, because you're a prophet, you're filled with this love for all children, all the children of men. And you have to be a part of a moment where a building comes crashing down and, and kills several if not a dozen a lot of people a lot of people and i don't think alma and amulek walked out of that prison triumphant i imagine they walked out of it pretty scarred and they go back home well they actually go to the river sidon and do some more preaching and healing which is even more astounding and then go home and Alma kind of takes a break for a while. No wonder. Um, and I wonder if Alma starts to kind of question what he's doing. I would. Um, because someone in Ammonihah points it out and says, hey, you're not the chief judge here anymore. 
You don't have any leverage over us. You know, we can do what we want without any direct political consequence. And then they take Alma's words and they politicize them and use them against him. And people end up suffering. So I almost wonder if Alma didn't... I don't think he second-guessed. I mean, seeing an angel would make you hard to second-guess, but I almost wonder if he just thought about if he hadn't gone back, if there wouldn't have been all that pain and suffering, or even if there was, he wouldn't have witnessed it, and he could have put it at arm's length. But instead, he went back, and he saw it, like, right there, eye to eye. But then it doesn't end, because he gets reports that these people, the Zoramites, are distorting the word. And not only are they distorting the word, they're cohorting with the enemy. And so he gets the missionary super team and heads off to preach the gospel to them. And what ends up happening is some people don't listen, but other people do. And it's the poor people. And the poor people end up getting kicked out because they believe Amma's word. And they go over to the land of Jershon with the people of Ammon. And the Zoramites aren't too happy about that. And they say, hey, you got to kick those refugees out. They're, politi- they're political refugees. And if you keep them there, we're going to, we have justification to retaliate. And the people of Jershon say, nope, we're not afraid of you. And so there are the people of Ammon in Jershon. They say, nope, we're keeping them. And then the Zoramites use that as justification for war. And the people of Ammon have to leave the, people, the, the land of Jershon uh, and at least, at least temporarily and the Nephites come in and there's a battle. And I almost wonder if Alma was a little discouraged. Again, maybe he's, I'm, maybe I'm putting too much of my own filter on. But I think there's a good perspective here, a good lesson to learn, so I'm going to do it anyway, even though I could be wrong. But I imagine Alma felt a little sad at least to watch as he went forth not to start a war not to put a not for self-aggrandizement not for some political ideology but because he knew that the gospel not the gospel he knew that the atonement of Christ and the application of Christ's word the gospel made a drastic an everlasting change in his life and create a lot of joy. And he wanted individuals and families to feel that same joy. So he went out to preach the gospel to these individuals and families to share this beautiful message that had literally saved him. And then people took that message, twisted it, politicized it, distorted this perspective of saying, hey, this isn't about individuals and families, this is about you trying to get power or to change our way of living or to decry destruction or all these things. And then to watch as that actually happened in some ways or was a catalyst for conflict or was used as a catalyst for conflict. So Alma goes back after this and I imagine he's pretty defeated still hopeful you know because he's got a knowledge of god not just he's got a testimony not just belief he's got a testimony and then he brings his sons in and says 
here's my final words and I'm out of here. <laughs> I almost wonder if that was a mercy. We don't know what happened to Alma. We supposedly was taken up like Moses, but I almost wonder if God said, Alma, I get it. I asked you to do some really hard things and I know it wasn't easy to see that because you went as a peacemaker, but ended up having to witness a lot of conflict because of that. So I'm going to take you into, into my bosom, into Abraham's bosom. I don't know. Let's guess. Um, but the, what, what I get from taking that perspective is that a lot of times we talk about preaching the gospel or sharing our thoughts. And we want to do it in, the, in a safe, passive way. We don't want to create conflict. And I'm not saying we go out there to create conflict, but anytime we speak truth, there will inevitably be people that don't want to hear that truth. Not only do they not want to hear that truth, they are not afraid to take what we're saying and distort it and use it for their own means. And that's a very scary thing because... It can be polarizing and there can be conflict and there can be pain and suffering. And I think it's very interesting that Alma went forth to preach the gospel, to talk about and witness of Jesus Christ, despite knowing that that message would be, would be used against him and there would be lots of carnage, lots of suffering. I don't think we give credit to Alma's courage enough. So, and I think in my own life and in other people's lives that we could be a little more bold and a little less afraid to preach the gospel under fire because that's what... Alma did. He still preached the gospel despite people coming at him, despite people coming at his followers, and despite the consequences that he could have saw. But I think he did find hope in, in, in two things. Um, one, I, he, he knew that the, the, the people that were using the message against him as a political like weapon uh, we're actually just wicked people or selfish, maybe not necessarily wicked, but selfish people. And so it wasn't the message. It was the, the adversary, his adversaries. So sometimes we say something and it can be divisive, um, but it's not necessarily that it's not, so that doesn't mean it's not true. It just means someone else is using that for their own gain. And two, that as we follow God's word, we're doing the right thing even if sometimes that leads to conflict. Sometimes it leads to peace and, and joy, and especially individual lives that you change. Um, that doesn't mean someone else isn't going to make noise and be loud about it. So as you read Alma, I think there, there's, there's more than just the one-time conversion. There was a continual commitment throughout his life to continue to follow the God, to faithfully follow the gospel, uh, despite not knowing day to day how that gospel would or would not help people or what, 
what consequences would or would not come from that. And Alma talked a lot about faith, how faith is what nourishes the seed. And he definitely talked about faith with experience and authority. It wasn't something that he just knew or abstractly was able to teach. It was something that he lived every day. He preached the gospel not knowing what would happen, but still went forward and did it anyway. <laughs>